0: Hi, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. My name is Isabel Ross, and I'm the coach at Peak Endurance Coaching. Episode 52 is an interview with Joe Friel. Joe Friel is a lifelong athlete and has a master's degree in exercise science. He has trained and conferred with amateur and professional endurance athletes from a wide variety of sports since 1980. Based on this experience, he co-founded Training Peaks in 1999 with his son, Dirk Friel, and friend, Gear Fisher. He currently coaches only a few athletes. He mostly focuses on training emerging top level coaches on best practices and preparing endurance athletes for competition. This regularly takes him to coaching seminars around the world. He also consults with corporations in the sports and fitness industry and with National Olympic governing bodies worldwide. His training Bible books for road cyclists, mountain bikers and triathletes are used by several national sports federations to train their coaches. Friel's philosophy and methodology for training athletes was developed over more than 40 years and is based on his strong interest in sports science research and his experience training hundreds of athletes with a wide range of abilities. His views on matters related to training for endurance sports are widely sought and have been featured in such publications as Velo News, Bicycling, Outside, Runner's World, Women's Sport and Fitness, Men's Fitness, Men's Health, American Health, Masters Sport, The New York Times, Triathlete, and many more. Many years ago as a mountain biker, his book, Cyclist Training Bible, was mandatory reading. It certainly helped me. And his, uh, another of his books, Fast After 50, <laughs> hard to say, breaks down societal norms that we should get old and slow. Sure, ageing has an effect on the body, but there are many examples out there of older athletes smashing it. And why shouldn't we as we get older? And, of course, it's never too early to plan for that inevitable time in our future. If we just wait, then um, it could be too late. Time to work on keeping our speed now. Are injuries or persistent niggles ruining your enjoyment of running and hindering your performance? Get on top of these now so that you can get back to the simple joy that is running and it should be joyful. Come in and see the specialists at Health and High Performance where they utilise the latest in technology and experience to help you get back to your running best. So to be at your running best, go to www.healthhp.com.au backslash run to book an appointment and remember <laughs> remember how good it feels to just run. I'm really tripping over my words today. Anyway, I really hope you enjoy my interview with Joe Friel and that you find it as interesting as I did. Hi, Joe, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast.
1: Hi, Isabel. Thank you.
0: Can you tell my listeners a bit about yourself in your own words and your athletic background and that sort of thing?
1: Oh, yeah, sure. Um, Well, I've been an athlete, I guess, since I was in uh, just after grade school, junior high school. I I was a runner and I enjoyed doing it so much that I continued all the way through high school into college. And then. After college, I took a couple of years off from running. This is now in the uh, late 70s or late 60s. Started running again in the 70s. Started doing races. Next thing you know, I tried a triathlon in 1983. Fell in love with that sport. Um, Along the way, I started bike racing also since I was doing uh, triathlons on the bike quite a bit. And the thing just evolved from there. So I've been involved in, in sports since I was... I don't know, around 12 or 13 years old, I guess. It's just been part of my life.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. And um, you've written quite a few books on on training. How did you get into coaching and training and that sort of thing?
1: Well, I got into coaching because in 1980, I opened a running store in Colorado. We were probably one of the first dozen or so running stores in the world. And uh, people kept coming into my store knowing I had a, master's degree in exercise science, wanted to know how they could train for a 5k or a marathon or hmm. whatever. And I would answer their questions. And um, eventually I discovered that I was enjoying, uh, some, Lots, lots of people were coming in. Eventually I had triathletes coming in because I, I opened a triathlon store and then cyclists coming in asking questions also. And I, I was just, <laughs> I spent a good deal of every day just mentioning questions for athletes. And I realized I was actually enjoying that more than I was the retail, and uh, so I started coaching. And by 1987, I decided to sell the the retail store and just coach. And so uh, that that's kind of how that that came about. And then I was writing for a magazine uh, in the early '90s, about 91, 92, and they had a sister business that that. Um, uh, published books on sport, and that business liked my articles. I, I was writing for the magazine. Asked me if I'd write a book for them, and I told them no. I didn't have time. I was you know training fifteen hours a week, and at that point I was coaching seventy some athletes, uh, and, I bet, and I had two other jobs besides that to help pay the bills. it was really <laughs> tough time, and so I told them I couldn't. And uh, so two years go by. And I come to Australia, as a matter of fact, All right. uh, for the World Duathlon Championship, and uh, catch a uh, bad cold while in there. That was like November 1993. In March of 1994, I still had the cold; it wouldn't go away. Oh wow! I was starting to get uh, very faint chest pains. wasn't sure what it was. So I saw my doctor and. After a bunch of tests were run, they discovered I had a, a virus that got into my heart. I'd apparently gotten it while I was in Australia because it was a virus typically carried by birds. And my wife and I were in the Blue Mountains and I was, there were birds that would come down to eat out of the palm of your hand. Yeah. I was feeding birds out of the palm of my hand every morning we were there for a week. And I kind of suspect that's where I got it. And so the, he sent me to a cardiologist. The cardiologist said, you need to stop exercise until all this is resolved. And so all of a sudden, I had 15 more hours on my uh, available to myself. <laughs> I called the publisher and said, hey, you know, guess what? I'll, I'll write that book for you now. So I wrote the first book, and uh, I, I thought well, it'll sell a couple thousand copies. That'll be the end of it. But at least I will have had a chance to explain to myself what I do and defend my philosophies and methodologies of coaching. And the next thing I knew, it sold like 5,000 copies the first month. Oh, wow. and we were, off and running, so uh, and that's that's how the book thing got started. So it's been a it's been a long, convoluted sort of a story that uh, has led me, luckily, to where I am right now.
0: Yeah. No. Well, I remember um, I used to mountain bike, and I, I liked the uh, cyclist training bible, which was one of your books as well. But the book that we're going to be talking about is Fast After Fifty. What prompted you to write that book?
1: Well, in uh, the late 90s, I had written a book called Cycling Past 50.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: And at that time, uh, I could, there were no other books on, on athletes beyond the age of 50 that, that I could find anyway. And uh, when I write a book, I typically like to include a lot of research on what, so I know there's some foundation for what I'm doing that's, that makes sense and has some support. But I found there was almost no research on aging athletes in the late 90s. And so by 19 or by 2012, I've started to realize I've only got about 20, you know, just a few more years and I'll be, I'll be 70 years old and I still have research on, on aging. So I decided then I was going to give myself a, a 70th birthday present. And I was going to um, read all the research I could on aging athletes. And so I, Went back and started searching and, and found that I was now overwhelmed with research. In the oh, 20 God. years, or less than 20 years, 15 years since I'd written the first book, research had just boomed on the subject of aging athletes. And so, consequently, uh, I started reading the research and uh, I was writing about it on my blog, you know, things that I was discovering as I was reading. And uh, a lot of people were showing interest in my blog on that topic, especially older athletes, and they kept after me to uh, to write a book on the subject, and so I finally decided to do it, and so that became Fast After 50, uh, which was written because of my 70th birthday, not because of my 50th birthday.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um, obviously your book in, uh, is saying that we don't have to get slower after 50, and that seems to be a common misconception. So um, what does ageing mean for an athlete?
1: Well, aging means basically that things are changing, uh, physiologically things are changing. For example, we know, for example, that uh, aerobic capacity or VO2 max is in decline, It probably started in de- decline sometime in the athlete's thirties. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time they're in their fifties, it's become noticeable. And uh, that that continues on throughout the rest of our lives, it continues to go down. But what the research tells us is that we can slow the rate at which it declines. So the book talks about that, how to to go about doing that. So that's one of the things the athlete comes to realize is that um, they just don't have the aerobic power that they had 20 years earlier. Uh, Probably the most common thing that athletes realize though when they, around the age 50, is that their recovery takes longer than it did when they were young yeah when i was in my you know when i was in college around 20 years of age my college track coach used to have us do the very same workout every day and it was a killer workout it was intervals i called it intervals till you puke because it was hard, somebody would start throwing up and we'd, we'd be done shortly after that so we kind of encouraged each other to throw up and so get this done with but it was very poor coaching but nevertheless um, I did that five days a week, he did this five days a week, in those wow. days back in the 60s. In the, in the 60s, nobody trained on the weekends, nobody trained on the weekends. And Roger Bannister broke the, the hour record, or the, the four minute mile record back in 1954, he was trained five days a week. Nobody okay. trained on the weekends, it was time off. And so I was five days a week, as hard as we could go, two days off, and five days a week as hard as you can go. That went on for the entire track season. By the time I was in my 40s, I realized I couldn't do that anymore. Uh, I couldn't do five days in a row until I puked. Um, and by the time I was in my 50s, I was down to like three times a week I could do it. <laughs> and so it just kind of keeps changing, but you realize that you just don't recover like you used to. That That's the most vivid thing that athletes are aware of in their when they look at their how, the, how their body's reacting to training.
0: So, how do we work with that then? Um, Obviously, have more recovery time, but does that mean different kinds of speed sessions, more recovery within the speed session? How does that work then?
1: Primarily recovery between workouts. The most common, what I wrote about in the book is that an athlete typically after an over 50 athlete after a hard workout typically needs two days to recover. Okay. Some don't. So yeah. there, there, are variable, there are variations on I mean, this. Some athletes are still fine until they're in their 60s, maybe. Other athletes experience this when they're in their 40s. But, but around age 50, we've, we typically come to the realization that we just don't recover as fast. We need a couple of days afterwards. So in the book, I talked about how you can tr- train on a, a nine day uh, week, if you want to yes, call it a right. week, not a week, but a nine day training uh, routine. That would be one day hard, then followed by two days easy, and that would repeat for nine yeah. days. And that way, you were able to always allow yourself to recover. If you try to cram it into a seven-day week, you're, you've got a problem because you've got. If you have to train hard on on uh, Monday, take Tuesday, Wednesday off, then you can go hard on Thursday, and you've got. Um, eventually, the the rate catches up with you, and you you can't get in. Um, a workout every three days. You want you have to, someplace you have to go to work a workout on a fourth day or a second day to make that work, but a nine-day pattern makes that work very easily. Mm. Nine-day works pretty well if the athlete is retired, but if they're not retired, it's difficult to do because you got to, you got to, if you have a, a work, you know, you have to be at, at work of seven days, five days a week. Yeah. And uh, one day, because of the nine-day schedule, you've got to do a, three hour bike to ride before you go to work that day, it just doesn't work out. So it it doesn't really work very well for people who are not retired, but retired over 50s, it works really well.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you know how uh, you were saying that VO2 starts declining in your 30s. What if an athlete doesn't start, say, running or cycling until they're in their 30s? Does that make any difference to their rate of slowing as they age?
1: well, what will happen if they start running in, later in life, it'll, it'll actually be, it'll, it'll reverse that trend. You'll start to see mm. VO2 max going up. Mm. That would be very common to see happen because if the athlete is training in a way that stimulates VO2 max. Um, and that, that will also happen, by the way, for an aging athlete, an over 50 athlete, who has cut back on doing high intensity training, just started doing long, slow distance if they start doing some high intensity training again also, as I talk about in the book, then they will see the same thing happen. Their VO2 max could very easily uh, reverse, and they could see themselves improving their their, uh, performances. But it won't go on forever. You can't keep this going forever. It's, It's eventually, time eventually catches up with you and begins to decline again, so that you can have these temporary changes um, in VO two max and other aspects of physiological fitness, also that uh, uh, can be uh, can be reversed temporarily.
0: Um, now, can like younger athletes do something while they're younger to prevent the or to slow the rate of change for when they get older?
1: Yeah, you bet. I talk about a research study in there. that takes you back a long ways. I forgot exactly when it was. Now I think it was back like in nineteen. Uh, 70s, Um, a researcher, uh, I forget exactly how many clients, how many subjects he had, I think it was something like about a dozen uh, national class endurance runners, uh, American runners, and uh, they were all in their 20s, they were all elite athletes. He tested them for VO2 max, among other things, and um, uh, then he had them come back 10 years later the test again and again, ten years after that. So he followed up over a period of something like twenty years. Oh wow! And what he discovered was was that of these athletes, whatever the number was, a dozen or fifteen, whatever, I forgot the number of athletes. Now, the ones who who quit running, their aerobic capacities were dropping more rapidly than uh, uh, non-athletes. You know, lifetime non-athletes were seeing happen. In other words, they were, they were basically they were still above where those people were, but they were dropping so fast that they were going to catch up with their next door neighbor who never exercised a day in his life. <laughs> they were going to catch up with that person. So that was the people who stopped exercising altogether, these elite athletes. So being an elite athlete in your 20s didn't mean that you were going to have um, a high VO2 max or a high physiological fitness relative to the general population for the rest of your life. It didn't work that way. He also found there were some people in that group of athletes who um, who stopped racing, but they kept on doing long, slow distance. They just kept running, jogging, basically. Mm. And those people, their VO2 maxes declined, but not nearly as rapidly as the ones who quit exercising altogether. Then there was the third group who kept on racing. And over the next 20 years, this group managed to keep their VO2 max quite high relative to where it was when they were in their 20s. Didn't see much decline at all. So uh, that tells us that if you stop exercising, no matter when you started or how good you were, you will eventually lose the benefits of that exercise. It won't stay with you the rest of your life. But if you just continue to exercise somewhat, just by being active, you can slow down the rate. But if you continue to do things that are highly intense, like racing and intervals and all that kind of stuff, then you can maintain a really high level of VO2 max for a long period of time. So, uh, very interesting study, because it's one of those few studies that follows people over decades, to see how they did. Uh, Most studies take a group of athletes who are usually like college age, test them, and then at the very same time, test a bunch of 50 year olds and see what they're doing. And try to compare how's a 50-year-old doing compared to the 20-year-old? But they aren't the same people; they're different people. So it was it's not really good science. This this other way yeah. it takes a long time; it's two decades to get the results, but it means something uh, in terms of the, of what you can expect to happen.
0: Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And so you were talking about racing and intervals. So it's important for um, old athletes to keep going with speed work and not just run long and slow like you've, you've mentioned. So what sort of speed work should they do?
1: Yeah, um, high-intensity training, uh, uh, I talked about in the book considerably, has been shown repeatedly in yeah. the research, such as that one I just talked about, to be very effective on maintaining relatively high levels of VO2 max and other like anaerobic threshold and economy and, and other variables also that have to do with physiological fitness. But um, high intensity training is probably one of the most effective things that there is. Mm. And so if we can do something that is highly intense a couple of times a week, doesn't have to be all the time. An athlete could do two workouts a week where they train doing intervals, for example, at about anaerobic threshold or, or higher, and that will do a lot to maintain their, their fitness as they get older. It'll keep it from declining nearly as quickly as if they were just doing long, slow distance. So it could be such things as, for example, uh, doing 20-minute intervals, or 20-minute total interval time at about anaerobic threshold which could be sometimes called lactate threshold or functional threshold. There are a n- number of uh, descriptive words for this point. Yeah, that's right. This point is about, if we're talking about a zero to 10 scale, 10 being as hard as you could possibly go, I'm talking about a seven. So around yeah. a seven, if an athlete could do intervals at around that seven intensity, such as uh, four times five minutes at that intensity. Um, with uh, a recovery which is about one-fourth as long. That'd be like a minute and 15 seconds of recovery. So five minutes at uh, at that intensity, and then 15 seconds of recovery done um, four times, or something like three times seven minutes with a minute 45 recoveries, or two times 10 minutes with two and a half minute recoveries, or just one 20 minute effort at that same intensity that would be a very good way of just maintaining anaerobic threshold. Very effective. You could also may help to maintain aerobic capacity, VO2 max, by doing intervals that are very short, 30 seconds to three minutes, for example, at a nine on the 10 scale. So yeah. very high intensity, very hard with equal recovery. So let's say it's you two minutes hard, you recover for two minutes. And do a total of something like uh, somewhere between perhaps 10 minutes and 15 minutes of uh, total such total training that's high intensity so something like five times three minutes for example would be um, would be 15 minutes yeah. the, the problem is when I talk with athletes about that they think that's what they should they haven't done anything like that before haven't done it for years they <laughs> think that's what they should do tomorrow go out and do five yeah. times three minutes at that high intensity that's where they get in trouble because they the body isn't ready for it. And that, so they get injured or they get, they break down in some way. Uh, they try to do way too much and wind up over They have to start out with very small bites, like five times 30 seconds at that same intensity. And That's all, five yeah. times 30 seconds, 30 second recoveries. Keep it easy. The idea is to build up into your body has to adapt. It doesn't just immediately change because you decide to do a workout. It doesn't <laughs> all of a sudden, um, Capable of doing this thing every day, it takes time for this to happen. It takes a long time, like in six weeks minimum, to see the benefits of having done an exercise like that. So something like that would be yeah. a good way of doing this to maintain this high intensity fitness.
0: That's that's great examples. Thank you so much for that. What what effect does diet have on aging?
1: <clears throat> yeah. Um, uh, what the research tells us is that as we get older, we seem to need more protein.
0: Uh, yes.
1: Uh, and so we need to be a little bit more aware of our intake of protein. In fact, some of the research studies has, has suggested that uh, an aging athlete, something meaning somebody in their 50s, 60s, 70s, may need twice as much as the daily recommended daily allowance wow. of, of protein. Wow. Yeah. But there's, the, again, but research in sports science has got, and including nutrition, has got a lot of uh, weak points. One of the weak points is the number of subjects we have is typically quite small, you know, a dozen to 25 subjects, so it's hard to draw conclusions that are set in stone <laughs> or things like yeah. that. But uh, that's what they seem to be suggesting is we need more protein, and so many studies found the same thing, That I have to believe that there must be something to that. The problem becomes if you just add more protein protein into your daily nutrition, that means you're taking in more calories. So something has to go someplace. So what the rest of the research seems to suggest is that we can reduce the calories or the carbohydrates as we get older. So there can be a shift from carbohydrate to protein with aging um, to kind of maintain a, a better balance. The reason for the protein, higher intake of protein, Appears to be from the research that helps to maintain muscle mass Which is one of the problems that occurs as we get older as we we lose muscle mass and So that's one thing that may have, may help to maintain it
0: And if we're reducing muscle mass as we age, I, I guess strength training becomes more important, too
1: Exactly right uh, that that's that's a biggie that talk about in the book that yeah. There are some things that, that athletes ought to do uh, as they get older and become much more serious about. One of those things is the strength training. Um, we tend to, again, let that go by the wayside as we get older. We tend to, when we were younger, we tend to be more likely to do it. Yeah. As we get older, we tend to kind of move away from it. Um, it's time-consuming. We've got too many things in our lives and we're in our 30s and 40s and after a while, by the time when we were 50s, we just stop doing it. But it's got tremendous potential for an aging athlete. But then I hear athletes say, well, you know, I'm old, so I probably will not get any benefits from doing it anyway, which has actually been studies that show that's not true at all. There was one study, for example, that, that took uh, people who lived in nursing homes who were in their 90s, and put them on a, a strength training program uh, and they also, at the very same time, took a group of college students and put them on a strength training program. Also, what they found was that both groups, those in their twenties and those in their nineties, improved by the same percentage in oh, terms well, of nice. their the strength. They weren't obviously, you know, the ninety-year-olds weren't nearly as strong as the twenty-year-olds, mm. but they all improved at the same rate. Mm. So, um, you know, strength—strength strength is something that we we can still get, and if we've been reluctant to do it for many years or even decades, we can still become stronger and that has a lot to do with not only how fit we are, but how our lifestyles play out in our later years. If we're just able to move, uh, vigorously move, that's got a lot to do with the longevity and, and living uh, alone or by yourself or in your own home yeah. as opposed to being a nursing home and lots of things that have to do with lifestyle. So that that's really a, a big thing to be doing for all aging athletes.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's incredibly important too. Um, so what about other forms of cross-training, like for a runner, for instance, um, because recovery takes longer as we age, should they be incorporating some sort of cross-training?
1: Yeah, I think it's great. Uh, running is the most likely event to, to get injured in uh, the more common endurance events or endurance sports. And uh, the reason why is because there's are just obviously a lot more uh, pounding, if you will, yeah. as you run especially on hard surfaces like concrete or asphalt, very hard on the joints, uh, you know, knees, hips, lower back and so forth are likely to experience some difficulty from from doing that for a for long time, decades. And so uh, taking up, other sports is cr- for cross-training is really a great way of kind of balancing out uh, fitness. Cycling, for example, would be a good option for a runner to take up. There's actually been research that shows that there's, a, there's somewhat of a crossover between in fitness for, for um, runners who take up cycling. They, they, get, they get some benefits from cycling that helps their running, aerobic benefits. The, uh, the reverse of that is not shown to be true, interestingly mm. enough. Cyclists who take up running don't seem to get the same amount of of a benefit from the from the cross training, but but runners seem to get benefit from the cycling. So that could be a really good thing for a for a or cy- a runner to do is take up cycling as a as a second sport just to get some aerobic fitness in.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea. And um, you talk about older athletes needing more recovery. What are some of the recovery modalities that you would recommend?
1: Well, number one, uh, by a long shot, is sleep. Yeah. Uh, And this is the one we're very poor at. Yes. I don't know about Australia, how how things are there, but in the U.S., I know that um, athletes don't get nearly enough sleep and the older we get, the more important this becomes to us. Um, we need at least seven hours of sleep a night, it appears. And uh, some athletes are not getting anywhere near that. They're, they're, they get up early. You know, what they do is they try to cram too many things in their lives, basically. Yeah. They want to you know uh, volunteer to work for a, a non-profit organization, which is a great thing to do. And then besides that, they want to uh, take up tennis on the sideline or golf <laughs> or as another side their besides running, whatever it may be. So they start cramming more things into their lives, and the next thing you know, something's got to give someplace. So what gives is sleep. They mm-hmm. cut back on sleep, thinking that well, that's the obvious thing to get rid of is uh, couldn't accomplish anything there, is the way they look at it. So they don't sleep as much, and that has ramifications roll all the way down through the rest of their lives in terms of cutting back on sleep. When I'm coaching athletes and they've got very high goals, they want to be on the podium at a national championship, they want to qualify for for a world championship, or they just want to win a race, or they want to finish a really difficult race, which they've never been able to finish before. I tell them if that's the case, if you have a really high goal, you can only have three things in your life because of the need for sleep. You can have your family, which is number one. You can have your career, which is number two. And you can have training, which is number three, but you can't have anything else. As soon as you add that fourth thing on, we've just reduced the chances of achieving your goal. So we're trying to keep things to the point that I know they're not um, sacrificing sleep in order to do something else with their lives. We're just trying to make sure we, we got all the things that are necessary to achieve what they want in life, You know, family, career. And this goal, whatever it may be, so and once they achieve the goal, if, that's, if they have no other high goals like that, now if they want to work for a nonprofit organization as a volunteer, or whatever they want to do, take up tennis or golf or something, you know, that's that's quite all right. But we need to uh, make sure first things are first when we when we've got this high goal.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I I definitely agree. Sleep's important. And are there any other particular things they can do?
1: Oh sure, there are the common things. Um, nutrition is, is a big one. Mm. The athlete uh, is training. Uh, for example, uh, in, in triathlon, this is a common situation, much less so in running, but in triathlon, the, the athletes are doing two-a-days. Uh, that's very common. And so recover recovering from a, a morning workout so you can come back and do an afternoon workout is a real challenge. And carbohydrate in your diet may have a lot to do with that. Uh, their ability to bounce back and and uh, replenish their carbohydrate stores before they do that second workout. It's mm. much less of an issue if you're doing one, one workout a day. That's not nearly as big an issue because you've got some number of hours, 20-some hours, until you do another workout. Well, you're going to have meals between now and then. You're going to sleep. Lots of things are going to happen that are going to allow you to recover and rest. So much less uh, important then. But for the athlete who's doing multiple workouts or, or is, is – uh, uh, has a hard time recovering, they may want to focus more on their nutrition during the day. They may want to use things like recovery boots uh, yeah. that have been shown to do some, uh, some benefit, have some benefit in terms of recovery, short-term recovery. Uh, taking naps is a, is very valuable for the athlete who's trained at a very high level. Massage. And, and I'm sure the athletes are familiar with lots of other things they can do also along this same line.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, No, one of the things you were talking about in the book is um, how can an athlete distinguish between the signs of overtraining and just normal fatigue? And I'm assuming because um, old athletes take longer to recover, they need to be more aware of these signs too.
1: Yes, that's true. Athletes need to be very aware of of how their bodies respond in training. Uh, the, The typical athlete who has high goals tends to push themselves to their limits quite frequently, and when that happens, that that limit is the the point where they potentially can break down, Um, but the challenge is that um, we we can get to the point where the athlete is tired, but they're not really breaking down, but if they go just a little bit too much, too far, too much in that same direction, now they will begin to break down. We call that overtraining, and this lower level We call it overreaching. Overreaching is common. The athlete really has to overreach if they have a high goal. The athlete has to overreach to get to that uh, that level of fitness. That's what's required. Fatigue is required to become more fit. You cannot become more fit if you don't become tired. Those two things are tied together inextricably. You can't separate them. The challenge is when the athlete accepts that but then pushes beyond tired to the point that they really can't respond anymore. In other words, they get up two days after a hard workout, they still can't hardly get out of bed. Three days Mm. later, they're still tired. Four days later, they're sluggish. If that's happening, they're overtrained. They need to back up, they need to stop training until it goes away. But the day after a hard workout, you should feel tired. It should be normal. It's when two days after, if it's two days after and you're not refreshed yet, there's something wrong. Maybe okay. It just depends on what's going on. Maybe lots of things in your life besides training, lifestyle stuff, job, uh, all kinds of things. But if you start getting three, four days of being really tired, that is a really bad sign. Most athletes are never able to get to that point, even though they try to, because <laughs> their body breaks down so badly they can't go on, and so they're they're forced to to stop. They just can't do the workout. I've seen that happen before but you have to be but I've also known very very highly motivated workout or athletes who push themselves to do workouts even when they were extremely tired push themselves Yes I coached pro one time I started coaching because he had overtrained himself like that and I I took him up as a new client at at the level of which he was already overtrained and the first thing we had to do was take a month off so my first coach in workout, we're going to do nothing for a month. Yeah, it took a long time for him to come back, and he never actually got ever got back to where he was before. He was the United States um, Olympic uh, Athlete of the Year back in the late 90s, and within a year after this thing had occurred, he was really unable to race at the level he had been at earlier because he pushed himself to the point of breakdown, really bad breakdown. So it can be done, but it's hard to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. But still, it's good for for all athletes, but especially athletes getting older, to to monitor and really be aware and listen to their body, I guess. Yes. All right. Well, um, do you have any other um, tips for... um, athletes as they age that that we can sort of start to wrap up with that you think you know my listeners would be interested to hear
1: just one last thing that it's interesting that we've talked about vo2 max we've talked about muscle mass um with aging and so forth it's interesting what happens when you tie that in with sleep Mm. uh vo2 max and strength training both cause your uh, vo2 max extra workouts like intervals and yep. strength training, both cause your body to release uh, more hormones, anabolic uh, okay. hormones, the hormones yep. that cause your body to become stronger and more fit, muscle, bone become more dense, muscle become stronger. These things all occur after a hard workout, like an interval session or uh, lifting weights, but they occur during sleep that night. They don't. After the workout's over, you're not more fit. Yep. It doesn't happen you finally get enough sleep that all these hormones can do that can reap benefits on, on your body so so what we're trying to get them you can tie all these things together and it all comes down to sleep you can do the hard workout weight room uh intervals etc but if you don't get enough sleep you're not going to reap the benefits so that, that's the most important lesson i think
0: wow well there you go so so really sleep is it, you know, you, the gains happen while you sleep, so that's so important. Then.
1: Yes, very much so.
0: Yeah, all right. Well, thank you. That's a, that's a big takeaway and um, a, a good lesson that we all need to, to follow is to get some more sleep and maybe switch off our phones a bit earlier and that sort of thing. <laughs> right. All right. Well, thank you so much for um, coming on the podcast and chatting with me today. I really appreciate it.
1: Sure, Rusty. Yes. Well, thanks for asking me to do it. I, I appreciate that. Thank you.
0: Now, if my listeners want to um, uh, find out more about you or have a get in contact with you, where can they they find you?
1: They go to my blog, which is just Uh and there they've, they've got a, um, my email address and uh, and uh, other stuff that I've written and so forth. There's available there also the books, etc.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, I'll put the links for that in the show notes. And thank you once again. Thank you. Interesting stuff, hey? And like Joe said, our VO2 starts to drop at around age 30. So the earlier we get on to slowing the changes, the better. I find it interesting that recovery is also a much bigger focus for the older athlete. So make sure you go back and listen to episode 50 where I talk to Christy Ashwand and all about recovery. Joe agrees though that sleep is the best recovery tool on the market. Stay tuned for a future episode where I chat with Amy Bender, a Canadian sleep specialist. She has lots of information all about sleep, its benefits and how to maximise the sleep you get. Look out for that one. And let me know your thoughts about my Joe Friel episode, either in the comments about this interview on the Instagram page or by DM. Thank you so much for supporting my podcast. I really appreciate the people who take the couple of minutes out of their day to go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review or on their preferred um, podcast player like Spotify, Stitcher, whatever it is. I read all of the reviews I get and they really do help me to stay motivated to keep working on getting you the best people possible to interview. Um, Next week's interview is with Ricardo Da Costa, who has studied nutrition in ultra running and has looked at GI distress in ultra runners. It is really a must listen. Make sure you stay committed and consistent with your training. If you are focused on improving as an athlete, email me, isabel at peakendurancecoaching.com.au to organise an individualised training plan. Have a great week of training.